Confessions of a Potty Mouth Chef, How to Cheat, Eat, and Be Happy. I'm Vicki Van Dyke, and we are back with Artichokes, Asiago, and Autonomy. Grover and I endured nine inglorious months of lies, cheating, the bad kind, desperation, and subterfuge. Ah, yes, the subterfuge. It's incredible how creative a mind becomes when desire takes hold. There were certainly enough social occasions when sneaking off for a kiss was possible. It was those other private encounters that presented a challenge. But I can assure you, desire always wins, and we found ways. There were dalliances in my home on days he could sneak away from work running errands. There were dalliances in the back of his work van when he could sneak away from work running errands and I could meet him. There were dalliances early in the morning when I walked the dog on the back trails and he pedaled furiously on his bicycle, ostensibly in an effort to get fit. And we would meet in the middle at a bench on a hilltop. Oh, the stories Katie, my dear mutt, could tell. We, we once met at a farm he and his brother were renovating and had a lunchtime picnic in the barn in the rain. We met in fields, parking lots, and at the ends of roads. We shared the lunch that his wife had lovingly packed for him more than once. I felt sick doing it, and I did it anyway. Because being with Grover was the only thing that mattered. I was consumed and obsessed, and any attacks of conscience were easily squelched. All it took was his kiss, and we kissed a lot. And then there was that time we rendezvoused in the dead of winter in the backseat of my Jeep, parked at a deserted conservation area. A cop showed up and demanded an explanation. We're naked in here, I yelled through steamed up windows, grateful that his view was inhibited. Sorry, sir, I added contritely, but we're just trying to put a little spice back into our marriage. The good cop laughed and wished us well, advising us as he departed to not freeze to death. Like I said, I'm a pretty good actress. Not necessarily a proud one, just a good one when I need to be. During this time, I traveled with HBS to visit his family overseas and Grover acted the dutiful husband at every turn. But there were several occasions when both our spouses raised an eyebrow. This was abject torture. And yet, it went on and on. We had agreed to take a year to figure this out. And when I say we had agreed, what I really mean is Grover asked for a year, and so I gave it to him, reluctantly. But what choice did I have? I could either acquiesce or give him up. And giving him up was inconceivable. Thus was born the agreement, written in longhand by Grover, and to live and deliver to me in secret the agreement i know this will be the longest year imaginable the longest we already know what we know we already know how we feel we already know how to lie we already know how to cry we already know what we want and we know how much it hurts to not have it right now we also know how much it hurts to scheme and lie some more and fake our way through endless days. But I want you to write me the perfect song. I want to get to know Jack and I want you to know my girls before they hate us. I want us to come up with some kind of a plan that makes sense. There will be so much devastation and I want us to be ready. Thank you for this agreement. 
We shook on it and I will do my part. I will keep scheming and lying and fighting back the tears that come far too frequently. I will try my best not to lose my mind because I love you. Yes, we were stupid in love, Grover and I, and even apart, we stayed together via emails. This was before the days of texting, and although we each had a cell phone and used them to communicate when we could, these emails became our poetry, a way to express our love and our fears and our desires in all those hours when being together was impossible. They were our lifeline and our love line. Our affair began in May, and by July, we were having trouble containing it. Neither of us had told anyone. It was our own private sacred jewel and our own private sacred hell. July 24th from him. I feel the need to tell someone about us, but I don't know who. My brother, my brother-in-law, the clerk at Home Depot. I can't explain it. Maybe you've become such a big part of me, you no longer fit inside my heart. What happens when you start to leak out? July 28th from me. When a woman is away from the man she loves, she cries in airplane bathrooms because she is watching a romantic comedy instead of living it. She buys keyboards in foreign lands so she can still sing his songs. She buys musical pins for all the boys in the band just so she can buy a special one for him. When a woman is away from the man she loves, she talks of him far too often and almost confesses her feelings to people who would probably rather not know. She starts to look at her husband like a warden. She despairs at looking at her husband like a warden because he is not, and any prison is one of her own making and choosing. When a woman is away from the man she loves, she risks life and limb to check email in the hope that he may have found the opportunity to write a few lines. Apparently some men do this too. She writes him songs. She smiles secretly at the memories. When a woman is away from the man she loves, she longs for him with every breath. She aches with anticipation, just as I ache for you right now, as any woman would when she is away from the man she loves. August 11th, from him. Sundays are the worst. It's the one day I really want to be with you. I miss you. I love you. I repeat these same six words every day. For some reason, they hurt more on Sunday. August 12th, from me. More thunderstorms in the sky, back again. Thunder and lightning and clouds full of rain. In my heart, too. I miss you so much I could scream. How do I go a lifetime when I can't even go a day? Sometimes I feel like I'm typing into the oblivion, never knowing if or when you will read these words, but at least they are meant for you. My husband wants to talk. He is very suspicious of you, of me, of us. I want so badly to tell him the truth and get on with our future. And yet I know this is not what you want. I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. August 21st from him, my dearest Vicky, I am shaking with shame knowing what is happening at your house. I know how much I wanna be with you. I can't imagine the unbearable pain of not being with you. Is this what your husband is thinking? Is this what I'm so willing to cause? And what about my wife? How do I tell her I'm in love with someone else? How do we tell our children? Are we allowed to fuck up so many innocent lives because of our passion? Is our selfish love worth it? 
I feel sick right now. I know you do too, and I'm so very sorry. Signed, your coward. August 22nd, from me. Since yesterday afternoon, I have written a thousand emails to you, all in my head. I have called you a coward, a saint, the love of my life, and the reason I want to die. I have written you a poem, cursed your name, ached for you in a way I can't describe and longed with all my heart for an email. And now here it is. I'm sorry you are shaking, but my heart is trembling too. Here's what I know. I love you, but I hate myself. In the past 24 hours, I have assured my husband that my flirtation with you is harmless and in no way the cause of any problems in our marriage admitted that there are many problems in our marriage, but when he offered that perhaps they are insurmountable and that we should seriously consider other options, I hummed and hawed and finally tap danced my way back into his heart. I held his hand, kissed his mouth and made love to him all the while thinking of you. I gardened, cut the grass, stewed tomatoes, cooked meals and tried to be a model wife. I deserve a fucking Oscar, but I can hardly look at myself in the mirror Your time has been bought. I can only hope the price is not too high. August 24th, again from me. In spite of these past few days of angst and confusion, self-loathing and despair, and every other heart-wrenching melodramatic emotion, I can muster, I love you. And it just occurred to me that the I don't knows might just be our penance, the divine retribution for our sins. But today, it all became very clear to me. I love you. And because I love you, I don't want to torture you. I don't want to torture you with choices you cannot make, decisions you cannot live with, and possible regret you cannot forgive. I am here for you in whatever way you want. Stolen moments, every moment, no moments, whatever you choose. I've said it before, your love is a gift. I accept it with all strings attached. I am and will always remain your girl. August 25th, from him, I know the truth. Even with all the hurt and sorrow it will cause, I know the truth. The time will soon come that I can no longer stand being apart from you. September 2nd, from me. The most wonderful thing you've ever said to me was last Friday at noon, When you told me you'd thought about having a baby with me, I would do that and a whole lot more. Because of all the things I've said to you, the absolute truest is this. You are the love of my life. I've always known there is only one and I waited a long time to find you. So whatever this is, whatever we are and will be is just that. Because you are who you are and I am your girl. October 12th, from him. October 12th, from me. A paraphrased quote from last night's episode of Everwood. For most of us, our fatal flaw is fear of change. No matter how much pain we are in right now, we fear even more the pain that we don't know. And then there was a health scare. Mine. Lumps on my thyroid. Tests, ultrasounds, nuclear medicine, all of us waiting to find out if I had cancer. HBS was surprisingly nonplussed. We were hosting a gathering of friends and I had escaped to the bathroom to have a cry. 
I guess he noticed my absence because he soon found me sitting on the toilet seat, wiping away tears and dripping mascara. I'm scared. That's all I whimpered. Of what? His tone was bordering on impatient. Of cancer, I said. I actually wanted to say, of dying before I get to love Grover the way I want to love Grover. But those words did not come out. Of course you don't have cancer, Vicky, he stated emphatically. Stop worrying about it. I reminded him that he had neglected to go to medical school, and all these doctors had other opinions, but he would have none of that. He simply took my hand, pulled me to my feet, gave me a quick hug, and suggested I clean up my face and return to our party. That was HBS. If there's a carpet close by, please sweep. But not Grover. Grover was sick with worry and despair. October 27th from him. I am once again filled with shame. I know you needed so much more from me yesterday. I know you were afraid. I'm afraid too. Afraid that something will happen to prevent our dreams from coming true. Afraid for our mortality. Afraid that I will never find the courage to speak my truth and break so many hearts. And yet I know it is inevitable. You and I are inevitable. Our love is a wondrous gift. And I realize now my sanity hinges on its fulfillment. I am ashamed I cannot move faster. Please forgive me. Thankfully, HBS was right. I had benign tumors, not cancer, at least not yet. I was told to return to the specialist if a large goiter ever appeared on my neck. So far, so good. The emails continued. October 31st, from me. The most wonderful things you've ever said to me. I love you. I've been thinking about having a baby with you. You're my favorite singer. Would you mind marrying me? Two in one morning, no wonder it was so amazing. Thank you for all of the above. And then some. November 3rd, from him. It's getting dangerous, isn't it? Being together around so many people. It scares me how dangerous it could be. But when you sang last night, all my fears disappeared. All I could hear were the words I knew you were singing for me. And then I read your email and I am incredulous that these beautiful words are meant for me. Every day, more and more of me belongs to you. And even though I am such a fucking mess, I love you. Yes, we were insatiable burning with love. It's incredible how stolen love burns so much brighter than that run-of-the-mill, everyday, married kind. Over these months of clandestine encounters and emotionally charged correspondence, Grover and I both became very fit and firm. No one questioned our newfound aerobic zeal. The dog's lips were sealed and all that walking and running, combined with my inability to eat much due to ongoing stress, led to my eventual 30-pound weight loss. I call it the trauma diet. And trust me, in spite of the workout and my new dress size, it is one I will never recommend. Christmas was coming and still we had not been caught. I think we were actually getting a bit more brazen with our affection. And yet HBS and K seemed fine. Sure, they had their suspicious moments, but for the most part, they were silent. We were socializing as couples more than ever and even getting merrily festive all together. And as we approach the Christmas season, we'll take a break now 
I'm Vicki Van Dyke, and I'll be back soon with much more Confessions of a Potty Mouse Chef, How to Cheat, Eat, and Be Happy. <laughs>